0: Hello, this is Jeff Benjamin with The Investment News Podcast. My co-host Bruce Kelly and I have a special guest today, a investment news colleague, Nicole Kasperson. She loves it when you pronounce her name that way. We're going to talk today about the kicking off with the Schwab acquisition of TD Ameritrade. Nicole has all the dirty deeds on that from the tech side, but... Uh, It's a big monster, $22 billion deal. Nicole, how you doing? Welcome aboard. What did you learn about this closing?
1: Thanks for the introduction, Jeff. So obviously, the technology integration of any two legacy systems is going to be a challenge and take a long time. Schwab is saying upwards a year and a half. But what's really on advisors' mind is what will happen with TD's Veo platform, which is this huge third-party tech platform that advisors love. So I do think it'd be wise of them to hash out the details of that soon so advisors can stop wondering what's going on. The platform started in 2010 and to this day now has over 180 third-party integrations. Bernie Clark, during the press conference earlier this week, kind of teased that the approach would be similar to what they did announcing integrations with TD's Thinkorswim, ThinkPipes, and the iRebel platform where they're just going to try to pick best of breed and then integrate everything into a single platform.
2: Why do advisors love the Veo platform so much? This is this is a, always a mystery to me. I don't cover TD as closely as, as Jeff, but these guys go on and on and on about the Veo. What is it?
1: They do. I think it's because of just how many third-party options are on it and because it makes it easy to just pick and choose from one company, i.e. TD to decide, I would like to use iRebel. I would like to use Thinkorswim or adopt that into my firm for my clients. So I think that just the optionality of it and it being under TD is what makes it so appealing, as opposed to having to go to a bunch of different providers to figure out what you want. Having all of your technology under one tech stack or under one company, like as an umbrella is a huge trend in technology this year, because... Advisors are kind of over having to do the heavy lifting with technology and just want, they want that Instagramification just as much as us uh, millennials do. So,
0: what Doesn't Schwab have something comparable to that? I mean, what talk to, talk to us a little bit about what's being folded together here and what will be, I guess, done away with.
1: Right. So Schwab has been working on a similar platform. And a lot of other broker dealers, custodians, you know, obviously Fidelity does a similar thing where they basically what they do is they say that they have an open architecture technology platform, right? Which just basically means that they can bring on any kind of FinTech that they think would sell to folks and have that available, right? Oh, look at all the options that we have. The problem is, is that the competition already has that, you know, like I said, Fidelity and to to have to over all of the technology, all of the data, all of the client data that they have from TDs into Schwab's, is a huge heavy lift. At least that's what analysts tell me. So what might happen is that the va one platform might fall victim to the, that post-merger platform consolidation. And so You know, we might see some of the interesting aspects of the VA1 platform, maybe not make it. So it's just gonna depend on what Schwab really decides to do. TD's folks told me it's really kind of like Schwab's decision, right? And and they need to decide if, you know, 180 third-party vendors on top of the however many vendors Schwab has on their platform is gonna possibly make them a bit oversaturated. So it'll be interesting to see. They just need to hash it out kind of soon because. Even someone on my LinkedIn commented on my, my post of my story about this saying, I really hope they keep it. So the demand is there.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. They're talking this thing, obviously, the, the acquisition closed on October 6th, but they're saying 18 months, 18 to 36 months before these two giant companies are completely, I guess, one, which essentially means the, the TD brand is gone forever these
2: things take years man i mean morgan stanley dean witter back in the 90s they were consolidating for years and years and years they were on wholly different platforms technology Mm -hmm. platforms these are and those are two those are two huge companies in the 90s these are two even bigger companies in the 2020s, so I can't imagine you know <laughs> integrating the the tech guys are getting paid overtime. I hope you know so
0: well the, there's also putting, the smushing these two
2: things together is is is, is that the, yes, and the technology is better. Yes,
0: it's a lot better from the 90s yes. to now. I mean, there was actual paper probably being used back in the winter days, <laughs> right? But right. Um, and because you guys know, would be the thing. surprised.
1: It takes a pandemic to get advisors to not want to use paper anymore
0: uh yeah Yeah, well that's a blog that's
2: a blog (laughs) post put that in your back
0: pocket nicole what are some of the other things that we should be or you'll be watching as far as the the kind of the integration on the technology side of of these two companies
1: i think what's important is to keep up with what other options are still up for integration right so we know about thinkorswim and Thinkpipes and iRebel, but we don't what we don't know about are the other TD technologies like Advisor Client, RIA Connect, and obviously vea One. So not knowing about those kind of three major other technologies that TD has been working on really extensively to build out and improve consistently, possibly even more so than you know Schwab has doing with their platform. It's interesting that TD kind of has the stronger third-party platform, yet Schwab is going to have to decide what of theirs they like more, what of TDs can come through. So that's what's going to be interesting to look out for. Not to mention, if there are some third-party integrations that don't make it onto the Veo One platform, then what does that mean for the clients that are already using it? Do they just get booted? Do they just get kicked out? Like, what do you do with that data? Who gets that data? regulators are probably going to have could have a fun time with something like that there's just like so many questions and bernie clark during their the press call earlier today made it clear that it's just too soon right so they just don't know so otherwise other than trying to hash out the details for their advisors to kind of be able to sleep a bit more at night and know what's going to happen with this technology that they love it all we know is that they're definitely going to integrate it into a single platform. So it's only a matter of what gets the chopping block and what doesn't. So we'll see.
0: Yeah. One thing that I think is interesting out of this, and this is something that has been kind of in the air since the announcement of the uh, deal was made in, I think, November of 2019, last year, is the potential fallout in terms of advisors on these two giant custodial platforms. I mean, I talked to executives at both Fidelity and Pershing over the past week, and they're still seeing this as an opportunity to grab market share. It's long been talked about that Schwab does not want to deal with the smaller advisor clients. That's something that they've bent over backwards over the past year, saying that they, they are interested in all viable businesses. They went on a whole press tour, Jeff. Remember that? Right. Yeah. I think you were in New York even. Yeah, they stopped by the New York office and talked they about how much by the they liked in uh, February. Liked
2: the little guys, the little, uh, the little financial so, oh, advisor, you know. Yeah. And then yeah, everyone you their, talk uh... to says, <laughs> "I can't get them on the phone." You know, not everybody, but mm-hmm. I've talked to a number of advisors with fifty or a hundred million, and they say
0: we can't get them on the phone. Well, and imagine what it's going to be like when they've got six trillion dollars to, to sift through, right? but at pershing for their part they they've actually come up with a a plan just to focus on that market in addition to what this they already so have smart. fidelity they're they're doing the same thing and and that's what they do and as you know nicole what what bernie clark said of the if you take the advisors that have custodial relationships at td and the advisors that have custodial relationships at schwab he said there's like a 30% overlap so that means there's a lot of advisors at TD that are going to become new clients at Schwab, and that's what Fidelity and Pershing and all the other custodians out there are expecting to pick up some market share from. They, to benefit they say, from. you know, if Take a these people have, even though Schwab's going to make the, the transition easy, a lot of these advisors might say, well, if I got to pick a new custodian anyway, I might as well shop around a little bit, and that's where we could see some movement. I don't think I think most of those advisors are still going to stick because it's the path of least resistance. Stick around. And Schwab isn't exactly a fly by night operation. So, you know, they might see it as a little bit of an upgrade. But it's definitely, and this is going to be something that, as we say every time we talk about this deal, it's going to be in motion for a while.
1: It's interesting that you mention the opportunity for Fidelity and Pershing, right? Because there is, there's going to be this downtime that we're currently in, right? Where Schwab and TD are figuring it out. And on the technology side, I mean, that's just. A major opportunity for Pershing and Fidelity to basically, especially as you were saying, for the advisors that maybe have to move from TD to Schwab and the technology that doesn't get ported over as well. They'll be like, well, if they don't have my technology and now they want me to be with a new firm. Might as well go check out what Fidelity and Pershing next door are doing technology wise that might be better for me. So, interesting point.
0: Okay, excellent. Thanks, Nicole, for the good insights there. Uh, a lot to keep watching there. Speaking of M&A activity, Bruce, I know you were on something uh, this week that is big and interesting. What, uh, what can you tell us about that? Hey, thanks, Jeff.
2: Well, we were just talking about the giant merger with Charles Schwab and TD affecting thousands of advisors. Last week, Morgan Stanley finished or closed its acquisition of E-Trade. Which affects, you know, the discount brokerage landscape. And then this week, Morgan Stanley said it was buying one of the most kind of notable and renowned fund managers in the business, Eaton Vance, for seven billion. So it's really unusual. There's a lot to unpack with this one. Yeah. First of all, it's highly unusual. For a firm like a giant bank slash wirehouse, uh, Morgan Stanley, to do two huge acquisitions back to back, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. You don't see that that often because, as Nicole and and you and I were saying, these integrations take years to un, un to do, and they're very elaborate, require lots of work, lots of man hours, lots of meetings, lots of tech support. And lots of personnel. It's it's interesting though because James Gorman, he's the CEO of Morgan Stanley. He used to, he's a McKinsey guy. He became the head of the brokers, understand O'Neill at Merrill Lynch twenty years ago. When I was starting at Investment News, I spoke to him a few times. Then got to know him a little bit. Then he went off to become president and COO of Morgan Stanley. The financial crisis hit. He helped Maureen Stanley uh, acquire and then integrate Smith Barney, right? Mm -hmm. If you remember back in 2009, then Gorman became CEO, right? So his plan at that time in 2010 was to remake this operation into a wealth management business for for high-end clients, for ultra-wealthy clients, because that was a lot more steadier than underwriting and investment banking in terms of generating revenue and net income. So he does that. Then he goes about cutting, reducing costs and expenses in the wealth management side of the business. He does that. And then now he's on this acquisition run, which is, highly, again, highly unusual. He bought a um, stock plan business in 2019 from from a Canadian stock plan business called Solium Capital. A year later, he said he was buying E-Trade and now Eaton Vance. So there's no one else out there in the financial services landscape that is doing this kind of a strategic pinpoint acquisition strategy. I'm just saying strategic and strategy in the same sentence. It's wrong. But I was just thinking about, I was talking to people this morning, remember like 15, 20 years ago, people, big banks and firms just used to do acquisitions all the time. It just seemed to do acquisitions. <laughs> but now you have... It seems with Schwab and TD and Gorman or Morgan Stanley and E-Trade and Eaton Vance, really strategic thinking here going into these acquisitions. And also another kicker, and this is something that our colleague Liz Skinner pointed out to me and other people did, Eaton Vance is one of the leaders in ESG investing, I believe. Oh, yeah. They bought the Calvert funds. Eaton Vance, four or five years ago, bought Calvert funds. Talvard is one of the the, the, uh, firms behind ESG, and people were saying to me today and reporting about this, hey, you know, will the financial advisors at Morgan Stanley say, hey, we can go into ESG now, and this is something that high net worth as well as young clients really like? And also, will they get a discount perhaps when they sell these funds to make it even more attractive? Right. Advisors don't like selling in-house money management, as you well know. Right. Mm-hmm. But something like this that is in such demand and we've debated ESG, you know, on this podcast and privately, but it it, it just there, there's a lot of dynamic stuff in an acquisition. You're the money yeah. manager guy. What do you think about it?
0: Well, I'm kind of curious as to what the appeal of Eaton Vance Calvert is. I mean, you could look at it from the, this. They clearly are. I've talked to them a number of times, unrelated to this acquisition, but about their ESG strategies, and that's a big part of what you think of with Eaton Vance now. Anybody who's paying attention, anyway, and we all know that the the momentum behind ESG is is like never before. Even though ESG has been around for decades, that and under various in various forms and nomenclatures. But I find it hard to believe that Morgan Stanley would go after Eaton Vance just for the ESG. I mean, you can anybody can make. No, no, no. They went after ESG. for the assets and the right, and the revenue. Right, I know. And the revenue. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, what what is also there's a lot of mutual funds in this mix, and you know, mutual funds are kind of kind of old school these days, especially for financial advisors. I mean, financial advisors are the biggest buyers of ETFs. They're focused on fees and these are under threat under siege mutual funds are the the low hanging fruit in that category i don't know i mean i would never well E-Advance also has a to... strong separately
2: managed account business right
0: yeah that's true it's its assets i mean assets are assets
2: you're right so i think you know there's there's still a lot of advisors at at morgan stanley or teams right that run their own portfolios and this is what people were saying to me as well does this Help those advisors who are also portfolio strategists. Also, think about it. We write about the diaspora of Wall Street brokers leaving the warehouses to go independent every day. Does this help make Morgan Stanley more attractive uh, to its 15,400 advisors right now as they're contemplating going independent? Perhaps the warehouses have to be careful, they have to give their advisors reasons to stay in their seats. Sure, they can pay him a, a fat bonus, <laughs> but these guys also want real solutions for their clients. I think ESG is, I think you hit the nail on the head. ESG is pretty dynamic in the marketplace, right?
0: Yeah, I I, I don't know. I mean, there, there will be more coming out on this, I know, and somebody will, will put a spin on what the appeal of Eaton Vance was, but it definitely shows the power of Morgan Stanley, and that Morgan Stanley is certainly bulking up their forces over there with these kind of acquisitions. These are two huge acquisitions back to back, man. You just don't see it done, right? You know, maybe it is part of the the COVID work from home thing. People got nothing else to do, so they just <laughs> spend more time working. And you know, this is the you know, I, I, I think active you, I, managers. I think Eaton
2: Vance is saying, hey, you know, they had an obligation to their shareholders, and they. The man, the, the board over there said, "You know, active. They're saying they're thinking the same things that you and I are thinking about actively managed mutual funds,
0: mm-hmm. and how
2: these things are going are continually under pressure year over year." And the board had an obligation to the shareholders, right, and to its employees and to everybody to say, "Hey, we have a pretty good offer here." And there weren't any rumors in the, in the marketplace, as far as no. I know. And I no. cover this; we pay attention to this stuff pretty darn closely. There, there weren't any rumors out there floated about Eaton Vance being on the block or Morgan Stanley knocking on the door or anything like that. So I think it came as a bit of a surprise to the marketplace as well. Right. But and, the board and, had an obligation to
0: sell here. Well, yeah, the first thing I did when I saw this this morning was I took a look at the stock prices of, of Morgan Stanley and Eaton Vance. And, and since the, the trough on September 24th through today, which is October 8th, I saw the S&P was up 5.5%. Morgan Stanley was up 45 and Eaton Vance was up 13.5. So, huh. yeah. But uh, they knew. People, people that, was out they, there then. People knew. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it wasn't out there huge. It was out there too much. The SEC would have would have put up a flag on that one, but it was enough that somebody was paying attention. Anyway, Bruce, we do a lot of stories. We have a almost a regular series that we used to on Advisors on the Move. But uh, now it looks like we have something uh, advisors on the land. Really moving, right? man! <laughs> I moving mean, like, like on the land, you know, buddy, not on like, the move. This like is not advisors even looking on back. the land. Yeah, what's uh, what's that about? That's a, a new uh, a new uh, category for us.
2: Well, you know, Jeff, it's not so new because if you remember back in the financial crisis, we had one guy, a financial advisor out of Indiana, I believe, hopped. He was the 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 authorities were coming for him. He hopped in an airplane in Indiana, jumped out over Georgia or Alabama, I believe, with a parachute, tried to ditch the plane in the Gulf of Mexico, crash landed, broke his leg, and was running away from the authorities for several days. He was trying to get to a farmhouse where he had a motorcycle and all this kind of stuff. That was in the, the height of the financial crisis. What happened? Recently, over the past couple of weeks down in Atlanta, Georgia, was that a guy down there named Christopher Burns, who's a financial advisor who has a a, a weekly radio appearance and goes on television from time to time, he was informed in August by the SEC that they they wanted him to turn over certain documents and letters and the like to them by the end of September. The end of September rolled around. And he ski daddled, so his wife Meredith Burns filed a missing persons report on September 25th with the local police down there. And this guy Christopher Burns, his name is the marketing name for his firm is Dynamic Money, which is one of those marketing names, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Dynamic Money. And he hasn't been heard of since. So he's, what is it today? Today's October 8th. This, yep. this goes live on the 12th. So this gentleman has been missing for two weeks or so now. And he has a wife and three kids. And the wife has hired a spokesman. The spokesman made it very clear that Mrs. Burns has nothing to do with dynamic money or the business at all. And she's has no ties in any ways to this guy's RIA. Now, I, I did what you know all good reporters should do, and I called up the police. Conf- this was first reported in the, the local press down there, and we saw an article in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our, our fine editor, Sean Alaka, gave us a heads up on it. We called up the police down there. They sent us the missing persons report, and we looked up his form ADV as well for his firm, which is called Investus Advisors, which is based in Atlanta and i called the firm down there the the phone had been pulled it seemed there was no way to get through and lo and behold on the guys uh, investus advisors form adv christopher burns is the is the chief compliance officer and the and the principal of the firm there's no other employees that i could see and the firm had no assets so what kind of an advisor really was this guy and he'd been in the business for several years Just to quote from the police report a little bit, the SEC contacted Burns in August in regards to an investigation of his business. The SEC did not tell Burns what the nature of the investigation was, and he was supposed to hand in the paperwork on September 21st, 24th, rather,
0: and then he was gone. So that's a weird one, man. Yeah, that's a... Leads That's you to think one. all kinds
2: of crazy things. What did he do? <laughs> is, is the money there? Is the money gone? Well, I'm telling you, on his Form ADV, there wasn't any money there to begin with.
0: Well, so he could have it- been a, he could have been an hourly planner or, you know. I didn't see, charged- but
2: that has to be listed in the brochure or the Form
0: ADV, right? Yeah, they're some kind of pricing structure that they have. But um, yeah, I don't know. Now, this is
2: what bringing up the Great Recession of 2008, 2009. It was revealed, what happened to Bernie Madoff? Why did that whole Ponzi scheme fall apart? Why did our friend, the advisor in Indiana, who hopped in the plane and tried to fake his own death, why did that all fall apart? It's because there was a financial crisis and people went to their advisor or their bank and said, I need my money. (laughs) So my thinking about this was, is this a one-off? Or is this a canary in a coal mine? Where we're in the the COVID crisis of 2020, we've had plenty of stimulus in the economy over the past months. People, some people say we need more stimulus. Are people turning? Are some people going to their financial advisors and saying, "Hey, I need my money. Where is it?" And the advisor says, "I don't know." And they call the SEC. So it's very curious. Is this a one off, or is this an indication of something larger? Well,
0: I hope it's a one-off. Uh and also of course. kind of, of unlike the, unlike the uh financial is we're in some uncertain and definitely unprecedented times, but the financial markets do not suggest a uh that we're in a collapse right now. So well, that's because um, we got the stimulus so quickly, right? It
2: took President first President Bush, then President Obama and and the Congress to haggle the stimulus package months and months and months. I mean, here they they did two point what was it two point two trillion or something two point six the first round in, in weeks it started they started talking about it in February it got done by mid March but still there's still plenty of people out there who need who are hurting financially right and need money are they turning to financial advisors and saying I need to cash out my retirement account or something and the advisor saying it's not there my focus has been so created. By the financial crisis, because I as I say to people, I may have said this to you before, the 2007 to 2010 or 11 or 12 for business reporters, for guys like me and you, is what the Trump administration has been for political reporters in Washington. <laughs> we never st- remember that. We never stopped working yeah. back then. It was start at eight or nine o'clock every day and go for 10 or 12 hours and then do something on the weekend and Sunday night because <laughs> right. there was always something going on because there was just this collapse. So my view of my job and our job and in Investment News is so shaped by that expert.
0: Right. But the, there are some significant distinctions between then and now and that that's that was, why i need you here buddy right, that, to, that to was to help an, me remember <laughs> those that was a financial <laughs> that was a financial crisis that started in late 2007 and with the collapse of the housing market right yep. right and the in the subprimes and all that stuff and the market took more than a year to reach its bottom right. in march 2009 and that was what they were trying to rescue, that economy that the market was dragging down. In this instance, the market took a, like a 30% drop once the news and the reality of the coronavirus kicked in for about four weeks and then started to, to rebound. It's been essentially right. rebounding ever since. The money that is now the, the Congress is haggling over is to help all those people that are suffering because the economy was, was forced to shut down. So it 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 really is a different thing. It's still an economic challenge, but it's uh, what happened if you're shut down.
2: How about the scenario if you're a small business owner or a or retiree and your money did go sideways, your business went sideways, or your money went sideways back in February and March, you were down thirty or forty percent. You went to your advisor, and the advisor says, "Oh, it's not there."
0: Yeah, I I agree. This this this
2: could. Remember what yeah, happened it, with like- uh, your friend Dawn Bennett over there, famous uh, who's in prison and advisor who's in prison right now. People, yeah. her her, her <laughs> clients went to her and they said, we <laughs> want our money. And she said, hold, hold my beer. Yeah. And, and
0: for the record, Dawn Bennett was not my friend um but uh, i don't know uh, bruce likes to say everybody was my friend um i i never met a friendly in... guy <laughs> professor Come on. i'm lovable that's true I, i'm I'm hard to dislike <laughs> but uh, i never met don bennett in person and she's in prison now and i'm not but anyway yeah you're right I, I i see where you're going if you're if you're burned and jaded you could think that you know there's a lot of uh Hopefully, this isn't the canary in the coal mine, and hopefully this is one person who got himself in over his skis, and he'll be found safe and happy sipping a cocktail with an umbrella in it somewhere right before he's arrested, just like <laughs> happens on television, right? <laughs> there you have it. We, we solved all the world's problems right there. Well, we covered a lot of ground that episode, yeah. my friend. Yes, We We had
2: Schwab and TD and Veo and Morgan Stanley and Eaton Vance and Calvert and Missing Advisors, Advisors on the Lamb. Yeah. So, Jeff, that was a great episode. Yes, sir. And if it's Monday, it's time for another episode of the Investment News Podcast. We want to thank, of course, our very special guest, Nicole Casperson. And we always thank... Steve Land
0: The best tech guy In the business And a connoisseur Of pumpkin Now I'm just learning We pumpkin found that out Today as well Yeah <laughs> And Jeff
2: You know where you can find The Investment News Podcast At investmentnews.com Of course Also Apple Spotify Google Play And Stitcher Please leave us a review If you're listening On Apple And if you're listening To us on Spotify You can follow us there. We would love that. And if you have any comment or questions for us, reach out to us via Twitter. Jeff Benjamin, his Twitter handle is at BenjiWriter. And me, I'm Bruce Kelly, at BD Guy. Thanks for listening, and we'll be talking to you next week.